Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you've done Well, good evening. Thank you for tuning in this evening. This is the Stop Child Abuse Now talk radio show sponsored by NASCA, which stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Penelope Bennis, and I'm from Sarasota, Florida. On my host team this evening is Kim Lakin from Colorado, also also a NASCA family member. And we welcome you to tonight's show. It is Monday, May 8, 2023. This is scan number 3176. And the type of show we have tonight is a special guest uh, show tonight. We have a very special guest with us on tonight. Uh, Billy Giblin from Massachusetts. Uh, so welcome, Billy, and we uh, will unmute your line after Kim and I kick off the show. Um, we invite you to join our show tonight as a panel member, and uh, we already have a growing panel. I see Philip from California has just joined us as well. So um, please feel free to call in um, if you'd like to join the panel. And as a panel member, you will have an opportunity to ask Billy a question regarding um, the story that Billy is going to share with us this evening. Um, the way to call in to become a panel member tonight is to dial the following number. It's area code 595-2118. Again, that number is area code 646-595-2118. And Kim will meet you on the back line to welcome you into the show. Uh, but before um, I uh, introduce our special guest, we wanted to tell you a little bit more about NASCA and NASCA's mission because, as you know, NASCA is all about child abuse, uh, trauma prevention, intervention, and recovery. We have a single purpose at NASCA, and it's to address issues related to, related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. The first goal, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts, showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. The second goal, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adults survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. 
So please join us on the panel. Uh, we would encourage you to do so by calling area code 646-595-2118. So Billy, I'm now going to uh, unmute your line. And on behalf of NASCA, uh, Kim Lake yep. and I welcome you to the show. Um, so thank, thank you. you for calling. Thank you, Billy. Yeah, so thank I'm, you for having me. Of course. Of course. Well, it's our pleasure to have you tonight. And have you been a guest on our show before? Yeah, uh, a little over a year ago, yes. Yeah. That's what Kim had mentioned. So a little over a year ago, um, you would come on the show. So you know a little bit how um, how things work. And, and most importantly, you know, this is this 90 minutes, well, it's a little less than 90 now because I kicked off the show. But this is, this is for you. Um, this is your time and your show to share whatever you wish to share about your, and, uh, you know, Kim and I just serve um, as, you know, we'll facilitate a little bit. We'll, um, I'll ask you some questions. Um, and, but really the main point is it's yours, you're in control. You can share what you wish to share. Any question that comes at you that you're not comfortable sharing, that's fine. You know, feel free to just, you know, you can choose. Um, what you what yeah, you wish pretty, to? I'm pretty comfortable. Uh, I'm pretty comfortable sharing anything. So it's all it's it's pretty it's all good. Okay, and I believe it. I I was your host um, over a year ago because I recognize your voice and your and your name. So we, as you know, um, we do like to start chronologically, um, just because you know those who are streaming and listening in, um, they don't know you. They don't know any of your history. Um, or your yep. story. So just a picture of, you know, maybe uh, where you were born, who was in your family, the members of your family, you know, from your earliest memory, what family life was like. And, and for the first, yep. I like to break up the three segments. So the first third, we'll just go maybe to the first uh, 20 years of your life, and then I'll break to the panel. How does that sound? That sounds great. Okay, well, I'm just going to turn it over to you then. All right. Uh, again, thank thank. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Billy Giblin. I'm from Methuen, Massachusetts. Um, my um, my dad died at four years old, so my mom was a single mom bringing up three kids. Um, at 14 years old, um, there's three, actually it's me and my brother and my sister. Um, at 14 years old, I I got in some trouble walking home from football practice. And I was um, put on probation for three years, and I was sent to a, a priest in my hometown to do 100 hours of community service. Um, I was originally, and what I'm finding out along the way, it's pretty uncommon, um, is, uh, yeah, in, in the Merrimack Valley area, that's a lot of us were sent to priests, and um it started um, cleaning his office, uh, cleaning the hall near his office, weed in the garden, and then um, eventually bringing me in his office, face-to-face confessions, him putting me under his gown, putting his hands on me, spanking me, and you think about it as I was on, I was on probation. So, and he knew I had no father. He would also drive me home, fill me, fill up, fill me up in front of my mom's house. Um, and, uh, this went on for three years. Um, we finished up the probation and it's just crazy story along the way, you know, when you're 
when you go through this process, it's just everything's everything comes and it's just everything everything has come full circle for me in in time and putting time into myself and recovery. I was addicted so, addicted to pain. Go ahead. So yeah, so no, thank you. I mean, you're sharing so much with us, um, and I just really thank you for that. And I wanted to you know, back up a little bit because we like, you know, the show's 90 minutes, so we'd like to spend a little bit more time maybe, you know, in the first 20 years of your life. Recovery, we we like to hear about that usually towards the end of the show, but I just have some questions already um, because, you know, you went from zero to, to, you know, 14 years old, and I know that your mother was a single mother with three children, and I'm just curious, you know, before you had this incident where you were on probation, was your family life pretty normal? I mean, were you, my, was it pretty well? Yeah. Would, okay. Yeah. My, my, my mom was a typical hardworking woman who worked three jobs and did whatever she had to do to bring us up. And um, she was an awesome, awesome mom. And I had good grandparents that helped her. Um, and now my upbringing was pretty normal up until 14. Okay, and so and it sounds that that in protein because you got in some trouble, it was it was typical to go to a priest for some. You would think that you know, I think you were sent to a priest why because they felt boys that were you know in these maybe more uh, in the different setting would be um, a priest would be a positive influence. Was that the goal? I mean, why were you sent to this place? Just curious. Yeah, so I would, I I would. I would think that that was the outlook, but, you know, find her, finding out as, you know, as you know, how long it takes to even start recognizing this stuff is, um, yeah, it's, it's, it was common. I'm not going to call it common for us to like for the courts to send us to priests, but I know plenty of people that would send, send to priests for probation hours. So this is so, a court ordered decision. This is a court or decision yes. to send you there. Yes. Okay. yes. Okay, so this is not a decision that your mother made or your family made. This is a court or nope. decision. This is where you were assigned. This is where I was assigned in my, in my throwing mask. Okay. Um, yeah. So. Well, it sounds like it, you know, coming from the, you know, your family of origin in the home, to go into the situation, you were just completely um, – you must have been very, very much blindsided and, and not, I mean, in any way, uh, why would you be forewarned that there may be uh, maltreatment that you would be facing in terms of from these, the priests? I mean, I would think yeah, that no. it would be something that would be on your top of mind. Yeah. I mean, when you really think about it, I mean, back in the day, I mean, that was 1983. So, so, I mean, a priest, a priest, I mean, to me, in my opinion, is just like when you heard that priest, like back in the day, that was like more powerful than police. You know what I mean? And my, you know, my grandmother died had Irish Catholic, like, and just everyone trusted the priests. And now obviously it's coming out in the wash, um, what these people are all about. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's how I met them. And, uh, but coming right, but coming from a family that really held their clergy in a high esteem, um, when you arrive at this 
destination and these, um, it sounds the grooming process started pretty much right away at your inception. Yeah, it's, you stay there. Yeah, I can I can put it together now. Is like, you know, I I I mean, I can you know, it's like I can play press play in my addiction life and I can press play in the abuse life. It's like. You know, I can put it together now, but I couldn't until I got sober. But I just, I, I play it back, and it was, it was at the garden first. Then it was the hall near his office, and then it was in his office. And he first started putting me in headlocks and giving me noogies, and then it just led, you know, I can put it together. He was just putting his hands on me, and whatever it did for him, it did for him. And, and then it led it led, led me under his gown. And... um you know, those aren't, those aren't good memories. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, no, he not, gave me pictures, picture, yeah, pictures off his wall. He, you know, he, you know, I even, I even found the, um, the, uh, the letter he wrote to the judge when I completed my hundred hours. And this story is he wrote it on my 16th birthday and, uh, wrote a, you know, wrote a letter saying what a loser I was. And um, I've made strides, and he's and Billy's made a promise to me to 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 come back for counseling, which I did. I kept this guy in my life for a long time because when you really think about it, it's like you know he was as weird as it sounds. He was like I was a young kid looking for some kind of father figure, and he played some sort of role there. Like I looked, I looked up to him. You know what I mean now. Now I'm so angered, like he's still a priest in my hometown, and we'll get to the other side of that story when when um when we get there is um is yeah he's still a priest in my hometown and uh, and you know you, I look at it like this you gotta you gotta get uncomfortable talking about it to get a little more comfortable so so it angers me, and i I know the answer and the outcome of of what I'd really like to do and uh I just refuse to do that. I got two beautiful boys. I mean, they're 33 and 29 years old, and I'm not going to ruin my life. You know, I'm just trying to try. I've tried to do everything in stride um, to try to get him out in. He knows. He knows what, you know, he knows, you know. And, again, we'll probably get to that side of the story later. Is um, Well, yeah, so that's kind of where it's at right now. So, did you do you look back now? Do you feel that because this priest obviously knew that you did not have a father growing up, that you were maybe he targeted you? One hundred percent. Yeah, I, yeah. I do. And yeah, no, I, I, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, not that I was ready to say anything back then, but like anything that I do, he could have, he could have violated my, my probation. You know, he could have, he had power over me. You, you know what I mean? And. <laughs> Like I mentioned earlier, is, is like if I would have said anything, I mean, I really think about the other outcome. It's just like, it's like he knew he 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 knew he knew what he was doing, you know. Absolutely, he did. It sounds absolutely he yeah. did. Did you stop telling your mother what was happening, or did you not? No. So I held it for. Uh, so I held it. I'm 54. So I held it up until my thirties and I couldn't recognize it fully because I was in addiction. I knew I was getting put under his gown and, um, and I wasn't ready to talk about it. And again, this is, you know, the other half of that story 
when we got there is um is um I didn't start talking about it till age forty two and that was after a job loss and thinking I thinking I could stop doing painkillers, cold turkey, which I did, but then then there's my emotion and my brain wide open to what he was doing to me. And that that led to two hospitalizations for suicide and um and that just one one thing led to another and um then 2015 I just chose to get in therapy and I've been in therapy ever since but um but yeah everything everything has gone in 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 stride you know and um definitely couldn't could not have done it like without therapy no mm-hmm. doubt about it yeah. so yeah I completely agreed um absolutely so you had mentioned the drinking and the addiction and so is that something that started um what when did that maybe chronologically so, if you can give what yeah, happened no, all that happened. yeah so i actually i left one of my addictions out so after the abuse um so freshman to junior year he abused me and then by senior year i was doing steroids um fighting a lot steroids like any with steroids, it's a, it's just your how you look and and that outside image and um, and one person put it to me, Billy Goodman, he, he he's just so he thinks he's so, he's macho. They use the word macho. I kind of get a chuckle out of him. Like I don't think I'm macho, but no. At the end of the day, it's just it's for the outside image for the little boy that's crushed inside. And then I went from steroids to uh, weed to Xanax to Percocets. I had a $2,000 a week habit for four years. Um, and I was a mess between 2011, 2015. And I can't put this, I always, I always kind of tickle myself. I can't believe where I am today and where I was back then. I never thought I'd be where I am today. And that's just from putting the work in, you know, and again, like, I'm doing yoga two, three times a week, eccentric. So I'm at the gym. I'm back on my path, and uh, I just chose the other path, you know. And that is that is um, possible, and I'm so pleased to hear that that is a path that you and hear a lot of stories of, you know, the journey to the path. Um, you are not alone yeah. in that with the addictions with which is a really tools for numbing um the experience uh to uh uh finally hitting that you know point where uh you know you're either going to move forward or you're not um and addiction yep. suicide attempt not very not very not uncommon at all um, nope. so uh um but I think this is a good point right now. Uh, to break to the panel, um, if you're okay with that. Okay. So I'm going to invite yep. him, my co-host, on to um, ask a question or ask for comments, what you showed. So thank you for what you showed so thank far. You. Kim. Hey. Hi, Penelope. Thank you. And hi, Billy. Again. Hi, Kim. Thanks for being on again. We really do appreciate you calling in. No, always always good healing, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, and you're you're so honest, and we just thank you for for being like that, being willing to to just jump right in and and tell your story because you know it always helps. 
It always helps no, somebody. You just never I, know. Yeah, so. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me again, and you might have told me I have a bad memory <laughs> before, last time you were on, but um, what? how did your dad die? Do you mind sharing that? How did what? How did your father die? Oh, so my dad died in a car accident. He died in a car accident when I was four years old. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Did your mom ever remarry? So she she had a rebound, remarry, and it only lasted a year. Then um, a couple boyfriends after that, and then she had a partner um, for 20 years, and then he passed away. And then actually my mom... My mom passed three years ago from dementia. Oh, oh I'm sorry. That's hard. No, it's, it's, it's all good. It, it is what it, it is. What it is, is um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's part of the program, right? You, yeah. Do you still live, do all your siblings and guys all live around each other? Do you still yep, have so any much. kind of relationship? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. So, I mean, as we know, too, is the relationship part of it. And, you know, yep, my my brother's uh, 15 minutes away and my sister's probably a half hour away. And and maybe whatever relationship-wise with them has just gotten much better. But I have to say, like, it angers me, like, being at, like, Christmas or these holidays and all that's running through my head is, like, how much I missed from from being addicted and and how much I miss from this guy ruining a good part of my life. It just set me on a set me on a path with relationships and I was ma- I was married and I'm divorced now and have a better relationship with my ex wife which I'm happy about and I have a better relationship with my kids because I choose to but it just affects so many areas in your life that you know, you get rid of the drugs and it's something else and it's eating, and then it's, and then it's doing, at the end of the day, you can't do too much of one thing, you know, but with addiction, like, you know what, I, I, I was, I'm an individual and I'm a loner, I'm sure because of it, I don't let people in my space, but I'm headstrong, I feel like I'm headstrong with addiction and how it works, just like, you know, having a Percocet in the house, my mind tells me, oh, not that I do. I'm just using that example. But, like, when you have that safety, like, and I, I use that thinking, like, for food, and, you know, and I'll, I'll test myself. I'll get a cheap food, and I'm like, it'll be gone in a day. I'm like, well, think about if you had three or four of them, they'd be gone. So you cut, cut the crap and just get one and be done with it. But it's the same thinking as drugs. If I had Percocets in my house, I would be like, oh, I know they're there. I can, you know, I can test myself, but obviously I would never do that. But I put two and two together with a lot of things and used my addiction thinking with a lot of other things I needed to clean up in my life, you know. But how to, yeah, yeah, no, no. But yeah, no, it's it's good and my life is better, definitely. But still, I always think I can be better and, and, as we all know, we, we we know we know what it does to you long term. I mean, when you think about it, I was 14. I didn't start dealing with it until I was 42. I probably I recognized it a little more in marriage counseling when 
when the counselor mentioned something about abuse and that's when I broke off and started doing individual counseling and it's crazy as like, you know, I have my whole folder from the attorney that I had. And uh, I, you know, obviously I, I've read it like three or four times. I'm like, wow. In 2008, you know, I recognized something happened with a priest and I know I got to deal with it. And she, I have to say she was a good counselor and she wrote it all down and by session, by session, by session. And then I, the most I write, I mean, I, I was quick to say, you know, father so-and-so was putting me out in his gown and nothing happened, which is kind of normal when you think about it is. And then, man, my my darkest moments when I came off drugs and now I can put together, all right. So I was doing these drugs and smoking weed 24-7 so I wouldn't have to think. And who would want to think of those memories? So I can yeah. put two and two together. And, uh, of course, always – Always, I mean, this is why I go to counseling. This is why I do meetings. And, of course, I mean, I think that, you know, the most thing that anchors me is uh, him still being there. And, I, and like I said, I, I reported him to police when I was ready. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't force someone to talk about this stuff. It's like everything's processed. It's like on my 53rd birthday, I went to the police station, turned him in, and he's got, He's got cousins that are cops. He's, you know, they all work for the DPW. He, he's a pretty political family. His his cousin was the mayor of Methuen. And, uh, you know, it's crazy. As I've seen old-timers cops, and one of them, you know, because it was in the newspaper, and it's crazy. I didn't, I didn't mention his name. And uh, he goes, hey, I saw you in the newspaper. Who did that to you? He goes, oh, they were all doing it up there. He, like, said it like nothing. I'm like, you got to be shitting me. And, and you know, I... I left out that I, I was a correction officer for 19 years. So um, when he ever said that to me, and I just, I'm like, wow, that hurts. I'm like, but then it also, you know, who knows if politics plays a role with it, you know? So, yeah, yeah just crazy, right? Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever share your abuse with your children? How old are they now? How old are your kids? So 33 and 29, and they know. Yeah. And... They? And they, they don't want to know. They, they. I mean, my oldest. You know, I'll, I'll. You know, I especially. It's just. Whatever. I just. Yeah. You know, I don't. I don't know how my oldest one would react if he ever saw him. I mean, they know, but. I mean, they don't. I mean, they, do they know how much it really breaks me? I mean, no, probably, yeah. maybe, yeah, or no. I mean, but. They've also seen the change in me, and and those are without words. So like, like they they knew I was messed up on painkillers. Like, like, but now they see the change and the the positivity, and and it's just better. You know what I mean? It's all coming full circle. I'm I'm just I'm a better father, and I and I want to be even better. And you know, I have. You know, two exes. Not, not, I guess exes is the bad word to use. But you know, I had no dad to teach me anything when I was younger, and then I got abused. But my mom, my my mom, I guess a perfect example. My mom didn't say much. She worked, and and like, she obviously rubbed off on all of us. And um, and um, it's my actions that are. That it's just speaking for itself, and I guess there's really no better feeling because you know I know I'm back in the life in a proper way, you know. 
Oh, good. Thank you for sharing that, Billy. Yeah, yeah, no problem. We appreciate having you on. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you, Kim, for the questions. Really great questions. And, um, Billy, we have another um, panelist, Philip. He's got his hand raised, I believe. So, Philip, I'm going to unmute your line. And, um, Philip, you are connected with Billy now. And, Philip, do you have a question for Billy? So, Billy, did you ever find another father figure? Uh, no, no. I mean, my, um, my mom's boyfriend of, of 20 years. I mean, you know what? I take that back. I mean, he, he, he knew, he knew his, I guess, I guess he knew his role. I mean, I just looked at it as like, as long as my mom's happy, you, you know what I mean? He was a great guy. And, um, you know, he, I, yeah, I guess, I guess he was, he was in the picture, you know, um, he was awesome. My kids loved him. And, um, yeah, I guess he was, he was a good man, you know. Good question, Philip. Philip, do you have any other questions for Billy? No, I don't. Okay, well, very good question, Phil. Thanks for coming on, and I will... Um, call back on you in the next round, okay? Great. So, Billy, yep. you had mentioned that you've been married um, and that you may have relationships, uh, you have children, and that you, you know, obviously um, were employed. And so could you take us a little bit through your timeline, you know, after, did you go to college? Can you just explain your timeline of uh coming into adulthood yeah so um i did not go to college um i graduated high school luckily um that's one thing too i i i want to touch on is he always told me i had a learning disability and i talk about this with my therapist because she's always trying to you know tell you know go back to school and we we had a good session a couple couple times ago and she goes do you think do you think it's holding you back because of what you know he would constantly tell me that I had a learning disability which I don't but I can't lie to you those words like stuck in my head and do I think it plays a role did it play a role on me not advancing absolutely 100 percent um I was a terrible student just got by by the skin of my teeth I played hockey um, I love this sport of hockey. My mom got us involved, and then um, and then I I played it pretty much my whole life. But um, but um, yeah, I mean, I do I do think it it impacted me. And then you know, at 20 years old, um, my girlfriend and my wife at the time, she was pregnant with our first child, and I applied for a correction officer job. And um, I got in, you know, back in the day. I'm like, I think a lot of our parents are just like, go get a job with benefits. And luckily I found out real soon is like, you know, I'm not that book smart, but I know how to talk to people. I know how to respect people. And that's what, that's the rule of thumb in the prison system. And uh, that job was actually pretty gratifying, to be honest with you. There's a lot of people I see on the outside and I remind myself, I'm like, well, it's a good good thing you talked to them and treated them the right way because everyone makes mistakes. And uh, and then it makes me think about, you know, like I said, I'm pretty plugged into people 
that this has happened to also when we talk a lot. A friend of mine, Bob, and, uh, you know, he thinks 80 people in prison was sexually abused. And um, I always had a hot, you know, for that. And um, it's just along the way of recognizing it, I read, I don't know if you guys know who Theo Flory is. I had no idea. His, I just loved him as a hockey player. He played for the Calgary Flames, five foot seven or eight, and he played like six foot three. And like I said, I was just getting his book because it was a hockey book, and he was abused by his junior coach for over 100, 120 times. And I, I cried to that book. I just started bringing back my memories, and that was, a, you know, that was another stepping stone of recognizing it even more. But um. Yeah, worked in corrections, and uh, and then uh, I made a mistake at 19 years old, and I have no issue sharing it. As I was on my way home from the gym, and I got pulled over, and I had some marijuana in my car, and there's a lot more to the backstory with politics and inside the jail, but that doesn't matter. I used it as the, you know, like my therapist says, she was, what's the one good thing about you losing your job? And I was nine months away from my retirement is um, you do 20 years, no matter what your age is, and you can retire with, with 50%. So I was nine months away. But then I reevaluate that and I say, well, if I were to re- retired, I probably would have been dead because I never would have started addressing what was going wrong. So I, I'm very grateful for that. And this September, I stopped collecting my uh, retirement. So kind of a good story, you know, because it's just, and there's a, you know, there's just a lot along the way that, uh, you know, even with the attorney, I'll touch on that a little bit is, um, you know, 2011, I saw the fir- my first attorney, very popular attorney in Boston. And um, I wasn't ready. You know, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't ready to even, I had no idea, like, like between coming off drugs and pretty much six months after I'm having all these memories and someone tells me about this gentleman in Boston, I go see him. And then six months later, I call him back and said, I, I, I can't, I I'm, I'm coming off drugs. I can't talk about it. And to his benefit, he says, call me when you're ready. And I didn't revisit that till 2015. Between 2011 and 15, there was the suicide attempts, and like I, I can't stress enough. You can't, you just can't force force someone to start talking about it. And gratefully, he obviously does this and knows what it does to people. And I had to put it on hold. Have you found other men um, that? you can actually talk to about this experience? Or do you feel um, you're in a small population of people that no, are willing to speak? So this area that I live in, I mean, like, like, I mean, we all know is, you know, we can't force someone to talk about this stuff. And it's, it's insane. I feel like there's so many people in this area that it's happened to. And, um, Either they overdose or, I mean, we know the outcome if you don't start. If you, if, if someone never gets there, what's the, you know, they're, you either die or you, you commit suicide or you OD. And, and I don't know what the ratio is to that, but it's just, you know, the kid I, that lives downstairs to me, I mean, another local priest and, you know, they're, 
there's a lot of, I'm not going to call them big names, but they're, they were high profile pedophiles. And, um, I feel like there's a lot in our area, to be honest with you, between the probation, between the churches that are around here. I mean, I haven't lost my faith, but I, I, I just, I believe in God and everything, but I don't believe you have to go to an organization to be a good person. I, I mean, I think it's a scam, but that's just my opinion. But, but um, yeah, and I feel like I do a men's group on Saturday. There's 20 men just spilling their guts. And as we all know, it's like, you know, like my family means well and everything. Like my brother, my sister, they know, they know, they know everything. But talking to another survivor just makes me feel comfortable. You know, you think you're the only one. And when you start talking about it and it just, it just makes it easier because, you know, even my therapist, you know, my therapist has twins from a priest, you know, I say that because it's common knowledge and uh, she has twin girls from a, from a priest that was, that was a professor. So easy for me to connect to her and easier for me to talk to a woman. It's, it's easier for me to spill my guts to a woman, but doing these meetings, which there are a lot of men in, it's, that that's just gotten so, you know, like, it's like, wow, all right, I'll make, they can relate to, we all relate to each other and it's just a great outlet. And, um, and I just, you know, just continue to do that. There's, there's no other choice. I do the therapy double sessions and, um, a lot, just a lot of work. But then I think about how long my life was screwed up. When you really think about it, I've been dealing with this like on a sober head since 2015. So, so uh, it's just going to take, you know what, like I said, there's no other, there's no other choices. I mean, I do all the yoga and the gym stuff and I have to say like, it takes up space in my head. I'd be lying to you if I said it doesn't takes up space. I mean, I don't, I've thought about my cop. Would it be easier if he was dead? And maybe, maybe not. You know, I ran into him a couple of years ago. He wouldn't come outside a bakery and I'm glad I didn't. But I'm glad he didn't, but my legs weren't right for five days. And um, yeah, and boy, I think I think what fuels my fire is that he's still there, um, and I want to like I want to be the one. I I testified my story in front of the Joint Committee in Massachusetts uh, two years ago. It didn't pass through, but I'm hopefully going to do that again this coming year. Um, I plug I plug myself in and you know talk to a couple state reps and Massachusetts is one of the states that is behind. And, um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping I can be a part of that change and, um, and take this guy down to be honest with you. And I, I recently just, um, it's called someone had filled me in. I, I'm trying to think of the term I had it written down. I don't have it in front of me, but basically I just had to, fill a report out with the attorney general um, about it. And um, I know they got it. And like I said, I, I, I'm not giving up. I mean, there's, I, w- I want this guy to know it's me. And he knew, he knows I was there. You know, he, uh, he knows, you know, his brother, his brother knows. I like his brother. I'm lying. I mean, his brother's actually a nice guy, but it's not, it's not his fault that his brother's a pedophile, you know. But um, 
Yeah, I want to be the one to take them down. <laughs> so it sounds to me like there have been others that have come forward about this individual. So I I know of one who it definitely happened to, and so there was a couple different police, uh, priests up there um, molesting kids, and one of them has died. Um, another thing I left out, too, is he was always trying to get me to go to retreat. And I'm not going to lie to you, I never wanted to give a whole weekend up a party, and, and uh, he showed up at my mother's house. Walked right in my house, right up to my bedroom, started shaking me. And I had some words for him, and uh, he ended up leaving. But, um, yeah, it's just it's insane. Yeah, there's, there's <clears throat> you know, the short story to one of the persons we were going to contact when I was plugged in with the lawyer is um, – and I and I and I know this kid did happen to is um it happened to him and when I started the prison system he was in jail unfortunately for watching pornography with kids and then he got out he had a baby and unfortunately he shook his baby to death but the unfortunate thing of it all is I firmly believe he learned those mannerisms from him and I know he was molested by him. That's the unfortunate thing of it all. Wow. And we were, we were going to contact him, but the attorney obviously didn't think he'd be credible because of his crime. Um, and he, he went on, he went on to reoffend right pretty recently, to be honest with you. So, uh, yeah, I, I played youth hockey with the kid and, uh, I knew his mom and I got my answer and cause I knew, I knew he was going there too at the same time. So, um, yeah, so I'm hoping maybe the attorney general will be able to do something. Um, I just want to make him feel uncomfortable. I, I tell everybody and anybody I can what it, what this guy is all about. Um, and uh, I refuse to give up, you know. I You know what, I, I drove away and I told you I saw him at a bakery and I, hey, I, I felt, you know, you know, that body keeps the score. I mean, my body kept the score. My body, my body was erect. I was fatigued for days. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I actually can't wait to run into, my, into him again so I can really say what I should have said. <laughs> but but uh, I won't do the wrong thing. <laughs> but, but uh, well, whatever. <laughs> unbelievable to me that he is still um... – Allowed. I mean, think about how many. He's still victims. working with children. He's still working yeah, with children. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, it is, and and, uh, and yeah. Well, I you said something earlier, and I'm gonna I'm gonna um, loop it into this um, your prior statement about him still working with children. And yeah. it is, you know, I'm I'm an adult survivor of child abuse. You know, I'm an adult survivor of, of sexual abuse. Um, so is Kim. And, you know, we understand our stories may be slightly different. A lot of times the feelings are the same. And um, I understand, you know, because engaging and starting the healing process, no matter how old you are, um, I was around a similar, you know, I was, I was, um, 46. I'm now 53. Um, 
you have to experience, you become, healing is not numbing oneself, but actually really wrapping the brain around the events that actually happened. Yeah. You know, we're coming with what happened. And so part of the addictive behaviors, the numbing, you know, that is uh, a way to sort of, you know, uh, hold off on, you know, we don't allow ourselves to go there by the numbing. You know, we are, we are, um, we're buying ourselves time. But when the time comes, I understand, you know, the reality of it is, is so painful. In fact, for me, and I know this is not my story, it was so painful, I could barely stand up and hold myself up when I was finally able to speak for the first time of the sexual abuse. Um, yeah. I didn't even know I could move on. The anguish, I thought I would be, I thought I would drown in it. Um, so I understand, and I would look back. Once I had that clarity, I would look back and think of, oh, my gosh, like all these years of my life, you know, I decades and decades and decades, you know, um, what a waste, you know, what a waste because I, you know, um, I was in that numbing phase of life. Um, and what more could I have accomplished in my life? Um, but you are accomplishing something and nothing I'm not minimizing. I understand that. But one thing you're doing, and I, we haven't hit upon this yet. For me, I look back at the cycle in my own family, the intergenerational cycle of abuse gone on for hundreds of years. So I am one to address it. I'm stopping it. It doesn't make up for the lost time, but it gives meaning to my own suffering and to the suffering of those before me. And I have I have found a way in my own in my own experience to use that to propel me forward because if I lament myself on everything I've lost, um, it's, 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 it's beyond tragic. So I commend you for doing the work that you're doing um, and for not giving up and for um, not only your own work for the sake of yourself and for the sake of your family and your children, but also for the sake of um, – going up against your perpetrator and making sure you're going to have another day in court, um, doing, you know, whatever's with your power. Because you're, you're the voice of all the other victims who haven't spoken up yet, and you know he has so many. So you are, the work that you're doing now is profound, um, and you are, you are making a huge difference. Um, oh, you're not going to get back what you lost that you're making a huge difference, not only in your own life, but in so many other lives. And I know sometimes it, it may not feel like it, um, but, the longer I'm, but the longer I do this, the more I realize that even the smallest of things, you know, it, they have a ripple effect. Um, yeah, so, right. So, Tim, we have a, a number um, that called call in with our hand raised. I'm wondering if you could just go and, Introduce yourself and, and see who they are, so I can I can break to the panel um, in another moment. I think someone who's listening in has a question or a comment for you, um, Billy. Okay. But I don't want to just call them mind. So, 
Kim will greet them on the back line, and then um, I'll bring them in because you've got a growing panel. You see, your story is reaching people that are streaming, and now they want to call in. So you're you are um, you're reaching so many people right now. Um, I I'm appreciate. Actually, I'm, I'm mute Philip's line right now, and Philip, I didn't uh, want to introduce you. I mean, excuse me, bring you back into the conversation with Billy and see if you had any more questions for him. I have a question for you, Penelope. Okay. How would you stop numbing yourself? How would I stop numbing myself? Yes. Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, sometimes we don't, like, I didn't even realize that I was numbing myself all those years because that was my normal. I mean, when, you know, my abuse started the minute I was born and the sexual abuse the, the the physical and emotional abuse started the minute I was born. The, the sexual abuse started when I was about two and a half, three years old. So, like, my whole life I've been numbing myself, so I didn't even know. Um, so I numbed myself through um, uh, being perfectionistic, never having idle time, because if I had idle time, I had to think about what happened. So I was always doing something. I was busy doing something, so I didn't have time to think. Um, and then I also, um, food was my drug. And so I would either starve myself and focus on not eating, so staying hungry, which is a great way to numb yourself if you're focused on that. Or I'd eat too much, and then I would make sure, like, then I would focus on not eating all day long and making sure I didn't eat. So it was, anyway, those are the ways I numb myself. And the way I didn't numb myself, that was part of the healing process is for me to realize the way I was hurting myself. And so, Bill, you mentioned yoga. Um, I started doing yoga. Yoga reconnects the mind with the body, and I had also disconnected. I couldn't feel anything in my body. So the yoga is a great way to actually get in touch. And to me, I felt like I unfroze myself from my body. Like it was frozen for so long, so I was numb. So the yoga and the therapy – Definitely, like you said, Billy, I was going to therapy twice a week in the, in the inception of my recovery. Now I go once a week. Um, yeah. Definitely therapy. So in combination with um, – and, and NASCA, as you mentioned, Billy, NASCA, when you find a community, um, that's really helpful. So do Hello? you have any other questions? Um, so – I'll bring who we all bring you on in just one moment. Um, but Philip, I want to see if you have any other questions. Um, no, thanks. We don't. Okay, okay, thanks for calling in. So we have another caller. We have um, okay, Julio. I've unmuted your line, and I think I'm saying it correctly. Um, it's uh, do you have a question, Julio? But I, I, is our if is our make a statement? It's an important statement. It's it's pertaining to this. Um, sure. Um, one of the things we have to stop doing, not us, but as society, um, I think that when people say things like, I'm a, I'm a man, uh, I give you respect, you give me respect, I'm not a child, I think that, that that gives way for emotional abuse of children. And I think that people who hear that, either someone that overhears that or someone that that you tell that to is going to give them, it's going to get the wrong idea. And I feel that that's already per- perpetuating a problem when, when people say that. It's like 
it's not about your age as far as giving someone respect. It's about you being a human being. And people need to mm-hmm. stop putting an age limit on mutual respect because I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm a nice person, but when people say that, I just, I lose, I kind of lose respect for them. It's like, are you securing your adulthood or your manhood? Because that type of stuff is, that type of stuff can perpetuate that type of, that type of behavior. It's like, you don't need to say, I'm a man, I'm a grown man. I give you respect, you give me respect. It's like, come on, come on with that stuff. That's how I feel society needs to stop that. Well, thank you for making that comment. And I'm wondering, you know, Billy, as you're listening to this, you know, we go back to, you know, priests in your lifetime. You know, the priest um, was, you know, loud, lauded in your family of origin. You know, priests were, you know, public figures. And no matter who they were, but with their title, they should just be respected automatically. Like, they just earned their respect even though, or you should respect them even though they hadn't earned it because of their title. So, right. I, mean, I, I understand what I hear you saying is, um, I mean, my parents taught me this as well. Like, someone's older, you, they're automatically in that bucket. You must respect them no matter yeah. what. And, well, I mean, well, you know, yeah, so I'll let Billy respond to that. Yeah, no, that's kind of what, you know, you, you, you respect all the people you respect, respect priests. And, you know, obviously I have, you know, friends, this has happened to too. And I'll call him John. And, you know, I remember talking to John who I work with at the jail and unfortunately it happened to him too. He goes, if I would have ever gone home and said I was getting molested by a family friend, the priest, my parents would have beat the shit out of me. So, so they, they unfortunately are automatically, got that respect from their title like the thing i've learned the things i've learned along the way and you know priests especially but hey, let's call it what it is anybody with a title is like you i'm not i'm not convinced you know i work with a lot of people that had a title and people abuse power and it, it was all the way across the board i was in corrections for 19 years Guess what? There was guys who were my my boss who I would look back and say, why why are these guys even a boss? Like they they they're abusing their title. So it just goes across the board. But my I I I judge someone for myself to be honest with you. If someone tells me something about someone, I I've learned, and maybe I wasn't like that a long time ago. But I've just learned to judge myself and make my own opinion on people. And the way I feel is like if I want someone someone's respect, I don't put my age on it. If I'm giving someone respect, it's not about me being a man; it's about me being a person. So people who do that, I tend to be, I tend to be tend to not be nice and not respectful to people who say that make that statement. I'm like, come on now. I tend to be yeah. very cranky with people who make that statement as far as someone giving them respect. It's like you don't have to say that as far as someone giving you respect as far as giving them an attitude. It's like. Man, I, I usually tell people like that, you know, damn you. When you say that, I tell people like that, damn them, when they say things yeah. like that. Uh, I agree. And the flip side to that is, like, now I can reevaluate and say, well, I'm supposed to respect all, all the people. Then my thought process is, well, they should know better because they're, they're older and wiser. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's like if, if a person gives a person respect and they're being nice, they're not having an attitude, young or old, it's like, if you're gonna say that, then damn you. You know, you don't you don't get yeah. respect in my book. 
I mean, even I if someone's disrespecting you, like if someone disrespected me, I don't bring up my age. I just bring up the fact that I'm a person. I don't bring yeah. up I'm the same age as them. I bring up I'm, I'm the fact that I'm a person. You know, I give respect, and I deserve it back, regardless of my age. Because all that all that person is saying is that you can talk to someone that's younger than you like that, as long as they're younger than you. But if they're the same age as you, you can't talk to them any type. You can't talk to them any type of way. But when they're younger than you, you can talk to them in any type of way you want. And that that's why I don't. I tend to not be as friendly with people who make that statement. Yep. It's like, well, who are you? It's like, sorry, not you, but the people who make the statement, I'm like, are you secure in your manhood? It's like, you don't have to bring that up. I tell people that lots of times, mainly on the Internet. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. But I think, you know, in when we're face-to-face and person-to-person, I do agree with you, Julio. I think, you know, title and, and age, um, we need we need to be discerning. I think the word is discerning. Um, someone someone does not automatically get respect. To me, I feel like if you could expand on respect, if I were to expand on respect, that is, we don't question their actions. We don't question their words. We're just supposed to show them respect. I mean, that's what I was taught. Yeah. You respect a doctor. All doctors are good. Well, I learned later on in my life, not all doctors are great. You know, right. not all doctors are good. Yeah. It was that title. You know, yeah. um, I was I was um, a victim of sexual abuse within the church. Um, but, you know, when I voiced what had happened to my parents, it was like, how dare you, right? If the priests are saying nothing's going on, if, the, if nothing's going on, right, because of their title and they were older and they, you know, it's a it's a mask, if you will. Um, and yeah. I think we uh-huh. need to be more discerning. We have to be discerning about people as individuals and, and, and not base, you know, um, our assumptions on title or age. I totally agree with you. Yeah, because I've almost cursed the guy out on YouTube for bringing that up. You know, that's how nasty I get it with people who bring that type of stuff up. I'm I'm just letting you know I'm not a mean person, but when you make state when people make statements like that, I tend to curse them out. Even like curse words like the f words and stuff like that, I tend to tell people stuff like that when they bring that type of stuff up. Well, I yeah, I, I tend to. Sorry about that. Cut you off. No, I'm. I'm sorry. No, you know, there's a little bit of a delay on the air, so I apologize. Sometimes we end up talking over each other, and, and it just happens. So, my apologies. So please continue, and then we'll we'll turn it back to Billy. I'm not usually a person that curses people out, but when people make me mad enough, and I feel that they're not being very fair or very nice, I tend to curse them out when they make me mad, and uh, that's just a temper I have with people. I don't I don't threaten them or put my hands on them. It's just like, you know, if you're going to say, I mean, if a person is going to say, you know, bring up their age as far as being treated with respect or put the, put it, like, say something like treat someone like trash or a child, I tend to curse them out. I tend to say the F word to them 
you know, I didn't want to say the I didn't want to say it on the air because it's a thing about children. But that's how I feel about people like that. It's like, you know, I don't care for you. I don't want you in my. I don't want to be around you if you're going to bring up age as far as getting the same amount of respect from somebody. It's like, you know, no one deserves an attitude if they're giving someone respect. You know, so I don't tend. I tend to not want to be around people who make that statement. I don't even want you around me if you make a statement like that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if I sound well, I think, cool about people like that. Well, I, I think I think that's a good um, segue, though, into you know. Also, we can now you know part of the healing process is we you know I take my power back and I realize that I can make choices. And Billy, I'm wondering with you as well, like we can choose who we, you know affiliate ourselves with, you know, we can make choices, you know, yeah, we have more freedom, we, to me, it was like knowing that I have the power to make my choices, and I didn't even realize that, you know, until I was in, in therapy, I was so enslaved to the prison of the abuse, um, yep. so, I think, I think, I don't know if that was part of your healing process or not, oh, well, but, um, 100% is like, I, you know, it took me a, a a long, you know, whatever. It took me a while with certain certain people, but then you you just reevaluate and say, is you know, is this person really good for me? Because his clientele isn't good for me, and you're still hanging out with him, and it's rubbing off on me your negativity, and it's just you just got to step back. And I'm a very stubborn per. I, I'm not going to call it stubborn, but I I know I have a wall up because of it, but um. I'd rather be alone and working on myself than being in negativity, you know, and having negative friends because that's that's a whole nother ball game of cleaning cleaning that up. You, you know, it's just like, um, you know, I just don't want to be around it, you know. And, and you know, well, even when I go to the gym, I mean, it makes you. I mean, for me, it makes me. And it makes like I've said this many a times. Like I, pe- I feel like people can look at me and they they know something's up with me. Like I'm to myself. I do my own thing. I, I mean, in, in a way, it's a it's a really good thing. I'm I'm self driven, and I've learned learned to be like that. But on some aspects of it, I feel like I just think people can look at me and say, "There's just something wrong with him." <laughs> like, like, and again, this is this is what the abuse has done to me, and I. I push myself through that, but I, it, it takes up space in my head, you know? I mean, you know, I look, I look back at things that, I, you know, I, the, the things that stick out. And one thing I could never hug my wife when I was married. And then I put that together now and I say, Oh, I know why, because like, like right. having a sober, having a sober head since 2015, things different, you know, you know what I mean? Like having a relationship with another woman, I say, well, it's going to be, it's just way, it's just there. It's like totally opposite. It's like my clarity is there and I'm very picky, which is a good thing. And certain, not, certain things aren't supposed to come first. You're supposed to be friendly and friends and, and whatever the case is, but it, it's really, <clears throat> it's really, you know, when I say all aspects like being intimate and all that stuff, you know, it, it's whatever. I'm very picky. And I don't date a lot, but but it's just because I'm not ready. <clears throat> I'm not ready to, to be honest with you. It's because you know I have a couple friends I talk to about this that's happening too. It's like 
we're dating ourselves. That's that's our term. It's like, but I I need work before that happens, you know. And we talk about all the aspects of what it's done to us, and um, you know, it's just I don't know. It's it's damaging, and those I'm just talking a little bit more on other things that are damaged, you know. So, actually, I wanted to invite Kim into the conversation because I didn't get to Kim the last um, round of the panel. So, Kim, I didn't know if you had anything that you wanted to contribute to what Philly had just um, shared. Um, no, I think what I was thinking, though, as, as you were talking and also talking to Julio, is that I think all of that, you know, we don't say what we mean or say what we want or or need a lot of times because we've been told, you know, by those people that our needs don't matter. And um, so that's all that I was thinking of is I think that having grace, I I appreciate that when people give me grace (laughs) because I know that I don't always get everything right either. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's all I was doing. That's all I had to say this time, Billy. Thank you, though, for sharing all of that. Yeah, that's all good. I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to, to to have these relationships, too, like you were talking about, even intimately, yeah. because we've been shamed and we've been told that, you know, certain things. And, and some things maybe we don't even know. Like it's just subconscious and we hear it and subconsciously it, you know, depletes us and we don't realize why, what's going on with our bodies. So being in tune, like the yoga and stuff that you're talking about is, is really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all good. It's, it's, it's good. It's a, I, love, I enjoy the yoga, but I have to say it's like when you're, you know, again, I'm trying to relax, you know, you're trying to relax and, and get stuff off your mind. But when I'm in Shavasana and I'm just really, my thoughts are going, it's like, I shed tears. Yeah, yeah I do. I can't lie to you. I'm like, it's in, it's in my head, you know, it's quiet time and everything. And it's just. Yeah, and that's, that's probably that's some of thing. you that's, too taking care of yourself. It is. Yeah. It's a great yeah, thing because you're taking care yeah, of yourself. I mean, I, mean, I think um, Penelope had mentioned like, I used to be a mess telling my story. And I remember I went to Boston University with a gentleman that also has an organization. And I remember myself on that stage and like, Billy, you want to say, I couldn't even, I mean, as we all know, it's like doing this and doing meetings and doing therapy, you, you're telling your story again. And, you know, you're, you know, hopefully someday I'm in front of an auditorium speaking my story. And like, you know, I'm, I'm here to help people, you know, and, and by doing this, it's just it just makes me more comfortable, and it builds me up stronger and stronger. And like I said, my goal is to take this guy down. And um, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it if I wasn't, you know, you know, taking care of myself, you know, and doing doing what I do to survive. And um, I wouldn't be telling my story today if I wasn't in therapy or all the work I've put into myself. And I, like I said, I, I can't believe I am where I am today from where I was around say, 2011 or 15. 
I mean, couldn't get off my couch or anything. I knew nothing about addiction, what it does to you. Just stopping something cold turkey. I'm so hot-headed. It's like, it's like I kind of chuckle. I mean, I didn't know, you know what I mean? But luckily, I, I figured it out. And uh, it, I, I can't say it enough. It's just I couldn't, I couldn't do it alone, that's for sure. And I, I'm really lucky that I have a good therapist. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tim. Absolutely. Yeah. Is your therapist trauma-informed trained, Billy? Yes, and and she's holistic, and that's that's another bonus to it. Is uh, she's taught me about diet, taught me. Well, I didn't I didn't come clean with her with my addiction for a year because I was embarrassed, and I'll never forget it. She used to go to California for. For lectures, and by that time I had stockpiled some Zaboxin, and she's she's against like not against it's the wrong word, but she just believes in other other things, and uh, she didn't know I had a pill addiction, and then I just came clean with her. I said, listen, I've been I've been off pills. I'm taking this stuff, and and she know she knew exactly what to she go get this vitamin, this vitamin, that vitamin. She had me read a book called The Mood Cure. You you know, problems, obviously, when you when you shock your body of not doing painkillers and all that shit, it's going to it's gonna affect your sleeping. And uh, I have to say, like, just, just the foundation from her building me up with the addiction is like, yeah, <clears throat> I'm very grateful for her. And um, I'm grateful, no right or wrong way to learn, but I feel like for me, I'm just, I'm grateful from her knowledge to me and uh, it could have been a lot worse. So so I guess, I guess I got lucky. (laughs) So. Well, it is really helpful to find the right fit for a therapist in the healing process. And there are a lot of wonderful, wonderful uh, therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists out there. A lot of them, and it's becoming more and more common to be trauma-informed trained, which I have found to be very helpful um, for uh, adults survivors of child abuse and adults survivors of sexual um, abuse or sexual child abuse. So, um, I think it's great. Um, thank, thank you for sharing that you did find that person that, that has been able to help you um, in that in that regard. Yeah. So we've got a few minutes left, Billy. So I'm going to turn over to you, and I don't know what else you'd like to share with us about what's coming up for you in your future. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, I, I, um, I mean, do you, do you want me to touch on the lawyer part of it a lot? I mean. Uh, like, do you want me to touch on that? It's really up to you. Um, whatever you'd like to to share with us over the next. I'll yeah. So, so I'll. Yeah. Yeah, I'll share. You know, again, it's part of my story. Is like, is like, let me back up a little bit, and and I guess we can talk a little bit about how important it was from a a gentleman I met. Um, this guy Bob. Hudson from Road to Recovery too is and 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 I'm still 
we became very good friends. So my therapist recommended, and this guy drove four hours to come see me. And we talk about how important it is when someone wants to talk. And this guy does good things for survivors also. And then um, with my lawyer, is um, you know, I had mentioned I saw him in 2011, and I wasn't ready. I put it on hold. And in 2015, I call him back up. And in Massachusetts, they have to go after the institution. You, it's a seven-year law. So when they, so pretty much when you recognize it, so that could be going to a lawyer. That could be going to your first psychiatrist or a counselor, and that you know you you recognize it that it happened. And in Massachusetts, the stump in the law is is they expect you to deal with it within that seven years. And as we all know, it takes so long to even start dealing with it as it did for me. So that was an obstacle. And then 2015, I called him and a lot of, man, I I look back at that path. And again, these are obstacles and it tested my recovery. It sucked back then, but, you know, we're going to go public and then, the morning of, no, no, we're going to cancel it. We'll, we'll go public next month. Then he canceled that. And then we actually, in, in the middle, one of the attorneys died on, on the CEO. The organization that did this to me was they're called Malkites, and it's a Lebanese order. And um, just a lot of, uh, we have an, you know, we have a meeting set up with the other side. He got canceled. And, and then, you know, and again, my just my opinion, knowing what I know now about everything, and I will mention names is um, so about two three two years ago, uh, you know, I'm talking to him, and, and you know, this meeting didn't work out. He's like, I don't want your case anymore. He he did a questionnaire and said, who did who did you tell? And in my opinion, it was way out, his way out his way out of getting out of the case. If you want my honest opinion, with COVID and everything, and it. I'm not the only person this happened to is um, who did you tell? And I go, well, I probably told about 10 people, but I never got into detail. Well, because you did that, I'm going to have to subpoena all these people. I don't want your case. And then I get back my folder and obviously I read through my folder. I see the demand letter. And I guess that this is an important to- topic to talk about is like, I saw what, you know, I'll lay it right out there. He was asking the other side for a million dollars, but I also look at my past and say if I would have gotten a million dollars between 2011 and 15, I would have been dead. So, again, like I talk about the thing happening about my job, things happen for a reason. It, It was terrible at the moment. I was shocked. And then I got three different opinions from three other attorneys in Boston that do the same thing. And they're like, why didn't so and so? you know, put the lawsuit in, and, you know, all I hear is, well, all he does is settle. And, again, these were all tests for me with this. And I wasn't I wasn't happy. I pretty much got over that. Um, and, again, there's no money that's going to fix my issues, that's for sure. And there's plenty of people who I talk to in meetings that have gotten settlements. It just does, it doesn't fix it because, like I, I mentioned, if I would have gotten any money in the – Doing my addiction, forget it. I wouldn't even be talking about it. I I know the answer. So things happen for a reason. Um, would it have helped? Of course it would have helped. But would I really put that money to good things? Probably. Well, no, it, it wouldn't. The real answer is no. So so things happen for a reason. That's. But I I look at everything with the attorney and and it, it, you know whatever it is what it is is a, those were all tests for me too with my recovery. 
you know, I could probably go for, convince 10 people out of 10, hey, I, I got molested as a kid and I do Percocet. And I could probably convince 10 out of 10 that, oh, I'd probably do who would want to think about it. But, again, I chose the other path and no regrets there. And um, I don't know, I just, like that, I, I'm grateful. There, there's no price tag on your life and uh, grateful to be talking about it. Well, and I'm grateful for you to be talking about it because it gives everybody else permission to to feel empowered to speak about their experience, too, if they so choose. Um, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm going to ask uh, Philip Klein and Philip, uh, I can do it. Okay, my computer is not. There we go. Um, Philip, do you have any more uh, questions for uh, Billy before I close out the show? No. Okay, well, thanks for calling in, Philip. I'll put you back in most normal mode. And Kim was wondering if you had any other questions for Billy. Um, no, I guess I don't right now. I'm <laughs> getting sick of it. Well, great. Well, thank you, Kim. Thank you for my co-host tonight. And Billy, um, before I close the show, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us um, or leave us with? No, just um, grateful to be here and um, and just happy to be on your show. It's just another step for me in recovery, and I really appreciate you having me on your show. Uh, well, we're... That's what NASA is all about. NASA is a platform um, for you to come and tell your story um, and uh, in a safe place um, amongst um, uh, panel members and hosts that have um, had very similar experiences here. And we understand, you know, this is a, a place, like you said, you know, with your mentor group, it's a community. Um, and uh, there is a, I have found it to be a very wonderful community. And uh, NASCA, you know, appreciates, you know, your courage to come on and tell your story. I know it's not easy, um, but the more we share our experiences, um, the more we, you know, can can move forward in this process and encourage others um, to um, feel that they have a safe space to come forward as well. So thank you so much, Billy. Much appreciated. Thank you. And um, um, for coming on in NASCA, as you know, it's always here for you. Um, for those of you listening, I encourage you, go look on the NASCA website. It's www.nasca, which is N-A-A-S-D-A dot O-R-G. There are so many resources um, for our uh, anyone, not only adult services, anyone, as I said in the mission statement, interested in learning more about intervention prevention recovery services. The show is on five nights a week, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, a special guest night, Tuesday and Thursday, we have a survival professional um, that comes on. It's uh, more of a, a Q&A, an open panel discussion. It's wonderful. Um, so NASCA has a lot of different uh, resources um, if uh, you're interested. So please go on, take a look at NASCA.org. We are a fully um, self-supporting organization, 501c3 nonprofit. And there's a donate button also on the um, website, on the first page of the website towards the bottom. 
So even a few dollars helps um, to fund NASCA and all of its um, offerings for survivors. So um, be remiss if I didn't mention that as well. So I wish to thank you, Billy, um, for coming on and telling your story. Philip, thank you for calling in, being a member of the panel. Uh, same with Julio. Kim, my co-host, thank you so much. I always love, um, as you know, being on a host team with you. And for those of you listening, as I always say as I start off on the shows, if you, excuse me, there are enough adult eyes and ears on this planet to keep every single one of our children safe. If you see something, if you hear something, please say something, do something. It is our responsibility to take action. So thank you all. Thank you very much. Thank you, Billy. And good night. Thank you. Good night. Love Talk Radio. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.